Welcome to the Dear Beloved Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Jean, founder of the Beloved Collective, and together we will dive deep into relationships, femininity, and the stages leading up to marriage from a Catholic perspective. Here you'll find real conversations rooted in the truth, dispelling the lies found in our culture, and learn practical ways that we can keep Christ at the center of our lives and relationships. Dear beloved, welcome back. I'm really excited to have uh, a special guest today, Lisa. Um, <clears throat> many of you may know her from the Catholic Therapist on Instagram, which she then changed her name, I'm pretty sure. Um, mm-hmm. But she is an amazing wife, mama, and therapist. And uh, I had her on today to talk about boundaries because this is a topic that I like to talk about and that can be kind of... Um, like a trigger word in the culture, um, and I want to be able to understand it better myself and to just start this conversation. So thank you so much, Lisa, for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited, and I apologize. The internet cut out for a split second, but yes, I did. I changed my Instagram from the Catholic therapist to just Lisa Rose um, Gormley. So I don't know if you want me to kind of introduce myself and kind of go from there. Yeah, go for it. Awesome. So... Um, I changed my name to my full name, just Lisa Rose Gormley, because I, my license, so I'm a licensed, um, I was a licensed therapist, a licensed mental health counselor in Ohio. We live, um, outside of Cleveland and just last year after welcoming our second child, I came back to work after maternity leave, but only for a couple of months before I decided to stay home with the kids So since last year, I've been continuing up with my license, but I realized that I'm going to be in a season of more than a couple of years, not actively practicing. So even though I plan to continue um, learning and educating myself, I decided to put my license in escrow, which is essentially like the pause button. So it, you know, it means that you don't, you know, you're not required to do continuing education units and pay for those and be in person for those, which is just not something that I can do right now. So I am not technically licensed. I can't say that I'm licensed, but I was a therapist for four years and I worked with um, all kinds of populations because in the beginning you kind of have to work with lots of different people. So I was anywhere from substance abuse to dual diagnosis, which is substance abuse and mental health um, disorders in one. Um, And then I worked with kiddos and um, adults, even some couples. So I've been kind of like the generalist of therapists in my early years. So now I'm home and I do a little bit of coaching and I do blogging through Instagram um, and I really enjoy life coaching. I'm kind of on pause for that too, but I'm here uh, outside of Cleveland with my husband, Evan, and we just welcomed our third child, which is why poor Laura, I told her that she couldn't record (laughs) physically today because I said, I am not physically prepared. This is the evening time, the post-bath, post-getting kids down, I look like I just wrestled a bear. So um, yeah, we have three children together, and I love talking about my Catholic faith and still continuing to talk about mental health um, topics like the one that we're going to chat about today. Amazing. You're such a light to everyone. I, I know, like, I found you on Instagram, and I know that just sharing in that space is so powerful, so thank you for doing that and keep it up. We want to see you oh, <laughs> around you. with your kids and all of the things. Um, 
Yeah, so just jumping right into our topic, I would love if you could share your perspective on the question of if boundaries can be beneficial to us in our lives. Sure. Boundaries is kind of like the hot topic these days. Um, I think that every blogger, um, every coach, and understandably every therapist, you know, talks about boundaries probably quite often. And I love that it's gaining traction because it's really important. And I also want to talk about a lot of the nuances as we kind of continue the discussion because I think that with any, uh, with any topic, good, bad, indifferent, there can be the impact of the internet. So the internet takes it, it catches on like wildfire, and then you start to see it sort of like a game of telephone where by the time it ends... <laughs> to the recipient, the final person, it sounds a lot different. So um, the reason I say that is just because you can find so many great um, resources, podcasts, documentaries, books, um, people on the topic of boundaries, boundaries on relationships, boundaries within yourself, with your children, um, with your career. But I always like to try and provide also kind of um, not opposing perspective, but just like food for thought to consider as you implement what seem like um, good things. Like boundaries are always good. Boundaries are always healthy. Um, and we'll we'll say, Laura, that the word boundaries, as we use it throughout our our talk, we'll say that those are the good and healthy ones. So mm-hmm. if we were to, if we were to talk about behaviors that are going to look like boundaries, that's going to be a little bit different than actual boundaries. So when I say like, for instance, are, are some boundaries bad? Um, I would say no, because boundaries, if they're qualified in that word, they're, they're good, right? They're healthy. But we can do a lot of things, behaviors, um, communication that look like boundaries, seem like boundaries. We think they're boundaries, but they're actually other unhelpful behaviors. So if that makes sense, we'll kind of talk about, like, here's what boundaries are in their, you know, definitive good nature and then we can talk about what are some things that might be sort of like a wolf in sheep's clothing does that make sense totally and I love that perspective just to keep it clear in our heads and that's exactly why I wanted to have this conversation to kind of separate the the good boundaries from the poor behaviors as Mm -hmm. you mentioned yeah absolutely and The best way to do that, aside from getting, you know, listening to talks like this and reading books, is to work with somebody. Um, I usually always say, you know, especially depending on what you're dealing with, like you really want to see a therapist if you're dealing with like mental health diagnoses, for example. But you and I have chatted about coaching before. I think you also could find a really solid professional coach if they are, you know, specific things that you either just want to preemptively kind of train yourself on or if there's maybe a real specific um, relationship or instance where you just need help kind of coaching on you know communication style right like someone might come to you and say you know I'm really struggling with a friend and I'd really like to kind of bounce some things off of you and get you know your expertise I think that's really helpful because um, books and everything and even this conversation they're open up to interpretation sometimes and then when people are listening or reading they're thinking, well, okay, I'm just going to apply this then to my situation, even though it might require something a little bit different. So to answer your original question, I think it was like, are boundaries good or um, beneficial? I, are they beneficial? Yes, because they're protective. So if we were to 
you know, personify boundaries, like imagine on either side of a bridge, right? They help to keep us um, going forward in the right direction. Um, Sometimes, you know, like barricades pop up that are alerting us of some traffic jams. And so they're not super straight. They're not like these parallel boundaries and they're not super easy to drive through. We have to slow down. We have to like turn down the music. We got to focus for a second because it's not our usual way. Um, And I am like chock full of metaphors. It's like the only way (laughs) I understand life. Um, But yes, boundaries are so good. They keep us safe and they allow us to accelerate to our destination. So if you were driving on a bridge with no walls on either side, you'd be white knuckling it. Like you would be, or I guess white knuckling sometimes. I think of anxious driving, but white knuckling I think means like driving fast. You would be driving sort of slow. If you had no walls on either side, you'd be driving really carefully because you don't know if you could fall off. And that's what it's like kind of operating in life without boundaries. We're either falling off or we're crashing or we're driving so slow it feels like we're never going to get to our end destination. Um, So yes, boundaries are fantastic if we implement them right. Yeah, that is such a good metaphor. I've never thought of it that way, but wow. Like I can feel that of like sometimes you're going just so slow because you don't know where to go or, you know, in making a decision where boundaries can be really helpful Mm -hmm. Um, and not having those, you can feel really, really lost. So I like that metaphor a lot. Yeah, (laughs) Thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Um, So now that we're talking about, right, in the terminology boundaries being good, what are some, you know, behaviors or, or times that you've seen behaviors that act like boundaries not be beneficial to our lives? That's a good question. So what comes to mind, and I've shared about this a lot before, um, oftentimes the root of a decision or a motivation that we have, and I'll give it a specific example. Boundaries are like, gosh, boundaries with yourself, boundaries with your husband, boundaries with your boyfriend, boundaries with whoever, your in-laws. Um, we have to understand like the root of a decision we're making behind a behavior because like the same behavior, like let's say it's um, not going to Thanksgiving because we've got that coming up. That behavior, like we can't identify whether that's the right or wrong decision just based on the behavior. If someone came to you and was just like, I'm not going to my family's Thanksgiving, well, you'd want to explore a little bit, right, and understand, well, why? What is the motive, okay? One person's motive might be, I just can't stand my family. Like they're so obnoxious and all they want to do is squeeze my kids' cheeks and they take all these pictures and it's just, it's so loud. It's chaotic. Like we deserve just like a night in. We just want to be calm and just spend Thanksgiving alone at home. Okay. Another person's motivation for not going might be, you know, there's a lot of toxic alcohol use going on. And we've asked repeatedly to not have alcohol at Thanksgiving, and we don't feel comfortable bringing our children into this house. So we've decided that we're not going to go Thanksgiving. We're going to actually be at home and just do it with our immediate family, okay? So this is a little bit more of an extreme example, but I think that the, the former family or example that I gave you is something that's kind of common right now, whether it's Thanksgiving or a whole host of other scenarios, where it's like we just kind of don't feel like doing something or 
that something presents with it annoyances, irritations, inconveniences. And then this like I Western culture mentality starts to creep in. And now we have this like psychological or um, therapeutic based terminology for getting out of what I don't want to do, which I'm holding a boundary, right? It's better Mm -hmm. for my family to not go. So it's so hard to talk about boundaries because you see really ambiguous posts and articles and even books can be taken out of context because we could really fit it to whatever our desires are. So what's important is not necessarily about the behavior itself. It's actually about those motivations. Well, why, right? And then the second part of it, it's kind of twofold because it's not just the motivations, but it's also what's going to be the consequence of this action, right? So is the consequence of this action that my family is going to be upset? Yes. Is that a reason to not do something? No. Okay, but is the consequence of going going to be annoyance or is it going to be um, exposing my kids to something you know violent or inappropriate right so understanding all the different nuances of the consequences of our behavior should all go into making those informed decisions and I'm giving you sort of a big example something that you really want to sit down and kind of process with somebody um, but you can kind of take this into practice in the small ways too like you know it could be you know not that this is small, but your boundaries within a relationship, like let's say physical touch, you know, and, and mm-hmm. discussing with someone like what those boundaries are and talking about the consequences, um, trying to come at it from a neutral perspective if possible. So I'm skipping over lots of different steps along the way, but essentially it's really understanding where you're coming from and then where you're going because there's always going to be consequences of inaction. Um, Not that you're in trouble, like things have consequences, but more so that there's going to be a ripple effect and are you okay and prepared and comfortable and confident to handle that ripple effect, especially if it's going to bounce back on you. Does that give it a little bit of um, better explanation? Yes, 100%. I, I have, like in my thinking about all of this, right, I've come to the same conclusions, but you've been able to put words to it where I can then be like, oh, well, I can explain this better mm-hmm. <laughs> to somebody. So thank you for that. Yes, definitely the motivation. I can see how that really, I mean, with everything, with a, I mean, not with everything, with a lot of things in our faith life, in our moral life, motivations play a, a large part in in that. So it makes sense that motivations can come down to um, whether or not having a behavior is a healthy boundary or not. And like you said, it could be the same boundary um, objectively, but it can be used for good and it can be used not for good. Mm, Sure. Which I think is a huge distinction. Absolutely. You think of a boundary as a good boundary, right? And Mm. then like other... Another way um, that someone might implement, it might be just like a wall. Like Mm -hmm. you're just, you're putting up a wall then. That's not a boundary to guide people into a relationship with you. And hey, there are some relationships where you have to put up a wall. You have to be able to say, okay, I actually can't engage in a relationship healthy, in a healthy way with you at this time. So yeah, wall. 
Um, but a boundary is more like I'm in a relationship with you, but here's how we have to navigate it. Here's how we can keep it safe. Yeah. Correct. Looking for curated, beautiful paper goods and intentional products to simplify your life? Then look no further than the Beloved Co. Shop. Yes, my very own product shop is here. Each product is made with the intention of helping you live well in the present moment. Stationery to help you connect with others, desk pads to help you remember what's really important as we plan out our weeks, and so much more. Intentional Catholic products to help you be a saint now and prepare you well for your future. These also make excellent gifts, so if you are looking for a gift for someone special in your life, check out the Beloved Co. shop on our website, thebelovedcollective.com. That's Beloved spelled B-L-V-E-D. And as always, you can find the link in our show notes. What's up, Beloved fam? It's me, Laura Jean, interrupting this episode to tell you about my flagship program, Made Beloved. Made Beloved is a proximate marriage preparation program that was designed with single individuals and dating couples in mind. When I was getting my master's in marriage and family theology, I was filled with so much gratitude that I got to study those topics as a single woman. I knew that what I was learning was changing my life not only then, but would change everything moving forward. I created this program not as a typical marriage preparation program where You already know who and when you're getting married, but more to answer the big questions of, was I made for this? What are these longings teaching me about the design of God for marriage? Is there really something that can fulfill all of these desires of my heart? And if there is, how do I start building the life that supports these beautiful design of the creator? We go over all of that and more in the 12-week Made Beloved program. I only open up registration a couple of times a year, so go to thebelovedcollective.com to learn more and to sign up for our waitlist to be the first to know when registration opens up. So moving right along to another question, could you line, that's not a, not a phrase, but <laughs> could you uh, help us understand some steps we can take to set up uh, good boundaries and... Mm-hmm make sure that they are real boundaries in that sense? Sure. Good question. Um, Number one would be to never do it alone Mm. um, because I think that we can sort of be stuck in the internalization and the emotions part of it and not think about it objectively. So it's helpful to either, sometimes we're making boundaries with a person, right? Like with our spouse or significant other or, um, you know, our children and that's all you sort of need to make those decisions. But if you're doing, you're making a boundary outside of that, it's helpful to sort of bounce it off um, with somebody, whether that's a therapist or, you know, just someone that's trusted, even if it's a family and friend. So number one is don't do it by yourself. Um, Not to say that, that, that you're not making the decision by yourself though, right? Like you can bounce things off of other people, kind of take what you feel like you need and what applies and not just you know, blindly take advice from others. So that would be number one. Um, number two would, would be to make it preemptively as much as you can. So as opposed to like reactionary boundaries, um, which sometimes are necessary, right? You're not going to just, you can't always put life on pause. You have to make kind of like an, uh, 
in the moment decision. But as much as you can, you know, let's say I'll give the holiday example again. You know, you've got holidays coming up. It's October. You've still got a little bit of time to talk, start talking them through um, and thinking them through and taking them to Christ so that you can make a decision when you're kind of separated a little bit from the situation. Um, And if a situation were to arise, let's say, you know, an argument happens or information has come to light about something or someone and it's prompting a discussion about boundaries, like really take time to step away to separate yourself as much as you can from that initial reaction. So you get into an argument with a family member and you say in that argument, okay, I'm not coming to Thanksgiving, right? Um, To really make sure that you step away from whatever that event is, that stimulus, um, that person. Take a minute for a second and um, (laughs) my daughter Mary is going to join us. Uh, Just kind of take a minute to breathe, process it with someone else, you know, take it to a holy hour. Um, those would be my two biggest. Don't do it alone and take a pause. Um, you know, plan ahead. Don't react. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that a lot. Some of the things that I talk about in my proximate marriage preparation course is talking about, you know, taking time to step back and think about what type of relation you ship you do want if you're single right what type of dating or engaged relationship that you do want um and preemptively like you said thinking about those things so that we can um step forward in in the right direction and not be reactionary right um absolutely usually we'll make a different decision you know not not to say that you can't make a right decision in the moment but typically you'll feel better about the decision and more at peace right if you take that breathing room to really kind of let it sink in and sometimes it'll mean the same decision and sometimes you're going to be like hold on now that I can sort of I'm not clouded by my initial emotion I would probably approach things a little bit a little bit different Mm -hmm. okay so question off of that because we are changing beings right we're constantly changing does that mean that our boundaries change and I want to say like I mean I want to hear your answer but I also have a thought on it and I don't know Mm -hmm. if it's right There is no right answer. Trust me. I, and, and it's so easy to want to be like, okay, what is, you know, the best practice? And gosh, like being, to be a therapist, like, thank goodness that it's not a um, qualification to know exactly what you're doing. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I say that humbly because, you know, there's not any, any, book any person any theory that ever tries to say there's one way of doing it I think is usually um incorrect or maybe inadequate is the right is the right word Mm -hmm. um I think to to answer your question um yes they change all the time and I think it's important to be willing to adapt because your life is going to look different all the time people are coming in and out people you know you relationships are so fluid you build trust with people you lose trust with people so your boundaries are going to look different and especially depending on what season of life you're in you know and I see like Laurel you talk a lot about you know dating and singlehood right and then like preparation for marriage and marriage itself 
all those boundaries along the way with a person as they meet somebody and eventually marry them, have children with them, the boundaries, you know, change and that's okay. That's good. And I also like, as I'm saying that, I think it's really important. It's sort of off topic, but woven. It's important to understand that things like boundaries, you know, when we talk about mental health, boundaries are are a good piece of it, right? Boundaries help us to promote mental health. So our, our overall mental well-being. Now that typically that's going to align morally speaking, but I think especially if we're talking to a Catholic, a Christian audience, it's important to understand though that boundaries, for example, are not always a moral issue. So when you're making a decision about holding a boundary, sure, we always have virtues in mind, right? Maybe in the way we communicate a boundary or, um, and what, and it influences whether or not we have one, but it's, it's, you know, going to Thanksgiving, for example, like it's not a sin to not go and, or, or a sin to go. And I think it's important to understand that a little bit, just because I think that we can kind of get it into our heads that, um, I think we can intermix morality and boundaries, right? And Mm -hmm. gosh, morality is like a blanket over everything. We always want to strive for the moral decisions, moral choices, but I think sometimes we blow it up to be something a little bit more than it is. Is that making any sense? I'm trying to think of like a good example to kind of illustrate that, but um, you, you why don't you share with me what your thoughts were? Because you told me that you're not sure if it's the right answer, but you have yeah. a answer. Well, be, well, your answer makes a lot of sense um, because we do change. We're we're constantly changing, and and if it's a boundary that you know relates to us, right? It's coming from us. It relates to us. We have to be able to change. We have to be flexible and um, invite the new change to come. But when it comes, right, and then there's this distinction, when it comes to boundaries of our faith, for example, those are are never changing, right? And that's the Mm -hmm. beauty of some boundaries that Mm -hmm. like, like um, like the example you, we started off with a bridge with barricades on both sides. If those were to change, you might fall off. So some are kind of, always there guiding us right Mm -hmm. um and then some may be there for a time and and they may move right and i think Mm -hmm. that like you said it's never a one-size-fits-all or you know one way is the right way um Mm -hmm. to kind of keep that in mind that some may change and some may see the same sure i think that's a a beautiful way of looking at it because you know, you punch in an address into Siri and she's going to give you like three or four different options. Mm -hmm. And some might be due to an accident or due to construction and you're still getting to the same place. So let's say like, you know, you've got your destination on, you know, heaven. Um, and there are different ways within your boundaries set by a whole ton of different things, your personal style, societal standards, Um, and then morality and and teachings of the church, we're getting to the same place. There might be some variations because there might be a roadblock, right? There might be a disastrous accident that you were not expecting. And so you're going to have to kind of reroute a little bit. So Mm -hmm. different road, maybe even different boundaries, but still nonetheless, something that's guiding you on either side to help get you to 
your end destination safely and hopefully unscathed. I love that. That's a really good analogy as well. Um, Another question that comes up with on the topic of boundaries is effectively communicating them to others. And I know you mentioned a little bit like don't come up with them on your own. So for example, if you're if you are needing to have a boundary with a certain person, maybe you're coming up with it with them. Right, for example, like a spouse or someone you're in a relationship with. But when it's not like that, when you maybe come up with a boundary with a trusted advisor, whether they be a therapist or a friend or a family member, how can we then convey it um, effectively uh, and and kind of neutrally, like you mentioned? Mm. It's a good question. And if you're asking the question to yourself, chances are, um, even if you don't get it perfect, you're on the right track. So anyone that's asking themselves, how can I communicate this effectively you know, without hurting someone or to make sure my message is is across. I think that's like the first step, just even trying. Um, And then when you do communicate with people, it helps you, you know, hear it from a different perspective and they can help you tweak things. And that could be like, hey, how do we, you know, tweak this um, email that I might be sending to someone or a text message or, hey, I'm about to sit down with this person. Can you help give me, you know, some pointers on or, or maybe help refine what it is I plan on saying again like if you might not get it right and like we all cannot plan for how somebody might interpret what we're saying but being as clear as possible but with grace and with love that will help your communication which a majority of that is going to be like your nonverbals. so you know we couldn't type out Laura like exactly what one sent like one sentence of, of anything and be like this is exactly what you should say mm-hmm. you know because you could say it so lovingly and you know your hand could be on that person's shoulder um, and I could come over and say it with my arms crossed leaning back and rolling my eyes sort of and mumbling and those two identical sentences are going to come across vastly different so so much of it is um, your intention and that's going to shine through in your you know um, non-verbals like what are your eyes doing what are your what is your body language And chances are, like, you know this, right? Like, you know if you're going into it and you're just really frustrated, annoyed, which you're okay, but you have to really do your best to try to, you know, communicate it effectively, kindly, but also succinctly and firmly. And Mm -hmm. different situations call for different things. You know, some are just super gentle boundaries. Like, oh, hey, you know, I I don't let my child watch that, actually. Like, we can watch something else, though. Like, that's a super, like, kind of, you know, nonchalant boundary. Another boundary, you know, might be we absolutely do not condone um, alcohol underage for my children. And I'm not comfortable with them being at your home until I know that they will not have the opportunity to consume alcohol while under your watch. Or your child is welcome to come to my house, but I'm not going to allow my children over to your house. You know, I... uh, we really love your family. We want our child to continue to spend time with your child. But at this time, based on what we've experienced, we just can't trust our child being at your home right now. So I gave two sort of, you know, extreme ends of the spectrum there. Um, that some of them, like, you don't have to be like, oh, you know what? We're just going to, 
we're just going to pick Corey up home because, you know, oh, we're the boring parents. We don't like drinking. Um, that's a weak way of, you know, holding a boundary because you're doing a disservice to them because they're not going to understand that that's actually a really strict boundary. So, you know, that's, that's a weak boundary in the sense that it's likely to be disrespected or not taken seriously. And then it puts the, you know, all of the weight on you. Whereas like, that's totally, you know, what you're doing is you're sparing someone feelings like if they're watching something that you don't normally let your child watch. It's not the end of the world um, that they watched it, but you also don't have to let them continue watching it, but you don't have to make them feel really bad about having, you know, watched that specific cartoon or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But then you look at, you know, something like alcohol use for a minor, that's really unsafe. Or, you know, there's, there's so many different in-betweens and some are objective wrongs and rights and some are more like personal family values. And if you want it to be taken seriously, you have to be firm, but you also want to make sure how can I also not just communicate my boundaries to be respected, but how can I actually kind of shed like a light on this issue with the person that's listening. Mm -hmm. So it's not always possible, but the best possible scenario is that someone's like, wow, you know, that might've been hard to take, but you know, maybe I need to look at what my child is watching or, you know, that was really nice of them to, to just like say it in that way. I really respect them. Right. It builds your relationship or maybe like, whoa, you know, I did, I, I'm embarrassed that we, allowed our child to, you know, consume alcohol, whatever the case is. Now that's not how it's going to go a lot of the times. Sometimes it's going to be that, you know, you are, um, they're angry because boundaries put up an inconvenience to people and your boundaries also are sort of a mirror for other people. So it, causes them it forces them to have to look at whatever decisions they're currently making and if they're not confident about them and there's any ounce of them that is not feeling convicted about their decisions that's going to cause them to have to look inward and it's really uncomfortable and that ends up causing anger if they're not willing to change so again those are just two sort of examples of how that's like verbally communicated but I think it helps to know that, you know, the way that you communicate it is sometimes like 99% of the battle as opposed to having it at all or maintaining it in that way because communicating it is the only way we build it. I mean, you can do it by actions and you can do it by repetitive actions, but for the most part, Laura, it's like, how do I say it? Like, how do I give this boundary? And then how do I keep reaffirming this boundary to make sure that it, it gets respected? Totally. And everything you just said makes really good sense. And it makes me feel better about some things. So for example, like what you were saying at the beginning, um, run it by somebody, you know, I love that idea because of a lot of reasons. Um, one, we're coming at it from one perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And it's been in our heads for so long. I do this all the time where it's been in my head for so long that when I try to get it out, it's like incomplete, right? Mm -hmm. Because so much more is going on in your head and you you don't know how to put it all together, right? So going to a trusted uh, family member or friend um, to run it by them has been so beneficial for me because it's like they can say like, I I don't understand what you're saying here. Like it's incomplete. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, are you trying to say this or are you trying to say that? And just like helping. And I think sometimes I know that for me, I've fallen into the trap of like, ooh, does that mean I'm like gossiping if I'm bringing this to a trusted friend mm. to talk about it with? Mm-hmm. Um, but but I don't think so um, because, mm. I mean, gossiping is a whole other thing. Um, but it can be really beneficial for for us and for the person receiving our communication to have had that um, help in kind of sorting our thoughts. Absolutely. It's so beneficial. And there's a difference between talking about something arbitrarily for the entertainment of it, right? Like the fact that our next door neighbor just got hair plugs. Oh my gosh, can you believe it? Or hey, I'm having a problem and Mm -hmm. I'm not going to talk about it with a million people, but I've chosen, you know, one or more trusted people and here's the problem. And the purpose of this conversation, even if you get emotional about it, even if you get frustrated, um, the, the purpose of it is not to, you know, pour gas in the fire. It's help me put the fire out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So even if like, you know, you're moving around the wood and sparks are coming and everything, still the goal though of that conversation is to help put the fire out so Mm -hmm. I think that's an important distinction because you're right we can often feel like we're gossiping so we just like don't say anything and then we can also like kind of hold it inside and on the on the flip side of that too I think some people um, maybe seek too much um, consultation Mm -hmm. and you can't possibly like there's such a thing very easily as too much consultation we're going to you know five, six, seven different people, we're going to get a lot of conflicting, probably different advice. Mm -hmm. Um, And at that point, now we're just venting. Now we just want to talk about it a lot. And that's not really, you know, helpful for us to actually put into practice. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you brought that up because you're right. Talking, Talking to someone should be a really good thing, but it can also lead to you know, an unhelpful thing, I should say. With anything. I mean, that's virtue is, is the mean between two extremes. And I love reminding myself of that because it can be so easy to be like, oh, this thing is a good thing. But if you do too much of it or too much of it in this way, it becomes a bad thing. So it's, right. it's good to have that uh, balance or to seek the balance at least. Um, and, and yeah, it's also interesting because sometimes we can fall into the temptation to hold everything in and not talk about it with anybody. Um, and that's not healthy either. Um, because there, there is, um, a lot of hurt and resentment that can come from that. Um, and a lot of other things. And then of course there's the temptation to tell, (laughs) these intimate things about somebody or if they hurt you in some way to the whole world. And that's not good either. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's, it's, a it's a balancing act and and we're trying to find the golden mean in all of it for sure. Mm. Yeah, Yeah. that's a good point. I like looking at it from that perspective because it, it should help people give themselves grace that you, you, you can't be like, you know, straddling this perfect straight line but as long as your goal however imperfect the way you might get there is if your goal is worthy if your goal is virtuous if your boundary is virtuous do your very best but also allow and I think that's a good 
point to add is allowing imperfection um, because I think that when people implement their boundaries, you know, they might do it in, imperfectly. Like maybe, you know, they're, they're communicating it and they start, their emotions start to get ahead of them. The best thing that I can say to people in those circumstances are it's okay to redo. Like it's okay to put your guard down for a second. It's okay to admit to that person, I'm so sorry the way that I communicated it. I'm still feeling a lot of emotions behind this decision. The decision is still the same, but I want to apologize for how I communicated that. Um, or, you know, I'm thinking a lot differently about this boundary now that we're talking and I'd like some time to think about it a little bit more and get back to you. So not being afraid to keep a boundary, even if you inappropriately communicate it, because so many times I will, I've worked with people that have a good boundary. We talk about it. They're like, good to go. And then maybe they fly off the handle and they feel super guilty for doing that. Or maybe like their voice is shaking and they start crying and then they kind of end up pulling back on their boundary. So permit yourself to imperfectly communicate it and then just tell that person, I don't like how I communicated that. I think it gave you the impression that I'm angry or I think it gave you the impression that I wasn't being serious because I was giggling the whole time. I have a lot of people that laugh under pressure, right? Mm -hmm. And we can say, you know, I'm still going to hold that boundary. I don't want to give you the impression that I'm taking it lightly. It's very, it's very important to me actually. And we can do that by writing letters and yes, even sending a text message follow up if we need to. And those are so many other different nuances in terms of how to communicate those boundaries because it totally depends. But yeah, forgive, forgive yourself, ask for forgiveness when you need to, um, and start again, keep beginning again. If you need to keep reminding yourself or them of the boundary and just keep starting fresh. Yeah. I love that. And thank you for bringing all that up because I I had those thoughts too of it's okay to come at it again. If, you know, maybe mm-hmm. the first time didn't go so well um, because mm-hmm. one way or another, you came to the conclusion that that boundary needed to be there. So mm-hmm. um, persisting and making sure that it's properly or at least communicated <laughs> and understood is is really good. Um, awesome. I love to ask this question to all of my guests. So do you have a favorite quote um, or one that you've been enjoying lately that you would want to share with us? Actually, yes. So I'm reading this book and I'm sitting at my bedside table so I can actually show it to you. It's called, um, and I've shared about this on Instagram. I'm in the middle of The Little Way of Living with Less. It's by Lorraine Bennett. And essentially it's about um, decluttering, but not just on a physical apparent level, um, but also on a spiritual level, emotional level. Um, and I'm going through it and trying to work on, you know, my house and my soul as I'm doing it. Um, and decluttering includes, you know, decluttering online and all these types of things that sort of are filling our heads and filling our spirit with things other than God, essentially. And she has a, this is going to kind of seem unrelated to boundaries, but to be honest, I'm seeing all these boundaries that I'm not holding, like in my home. I know we talked so much about relationships, um, and I won't open a whole nother can of worms, but you know, I've, I've decluttered and tossed out bags and bags and bags of our house so many times that I don't understand how they keep getting there. And I'm not a big 
shopper. I'm not even a big spender. Um, it just is very frustrating and confusing to me. And so she's kind of helping me understand like what my motives are behind decluttering because we can do it just for selfish motives. Like I just want things to look nice and I want people to think I have a clean home or we can do it because we want to actually tear ourselves away from the worldly possessions that kind of tend to, to anchor us a little bit or hold on to us. Um, so within the book, you know, there's just so much spiritual insight from St. Therese, but there's also a professional organizer who she kind of includes little excerpts. And I want to read a couple of things from her actually that I've marked off. Um, so one of them is, okay, actually, no, it's a combined one. It's both the same. So the name of the organizer is Jacqueline Dupoy. She's an interior designer and a certified professional organizer, which I didn't even know existed. So that's interesting. But she says that having a sense of detachment is so helpful when it comes to creating peaceful spaces. Clutter is just a visual representation of delayed decisions. Um, and again, this talks about the physical clutter. She, strictly speaking, is, is talking about physical clutter. But, I mean, you could you could put boundaries in that. You could put any kind of... Um, like ultimate um, goal for mental health, social health, spiritual health. Um, if we find ourselves so cluttered with information, with people, with opinions, um, with pressure, you know, cluttered with guilt, whatever it is, those things are, are similar to pain, physical pain that we feel, which are just indicators, symptoms of something bigger. So if we feel, you know, constantly thinking about, feel like we're constantly thinking about a certain person, a certain situation, a certain event, um, our home, our stage in life, those things are like pings. They're like physical, um, you know, symptoms of telling us that there's a problem on a larger scale. Um, and I think that's a really good way of approaching even, you know, how we hold boundaries with people and things and our environment. Um, but I just thought that was really interesting. It's delayed decisions. So you're not dealing with your crap, <laughs> essentially, whether that's you're not dealing with the mail that's on the table or you're not dealing with, you know, a person in your life that you've just kind of let just sort of fester over time and you haven't really deal, dealt with it. So it's a huge, huge variety of things. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm reading right now. That's kind of what's in, in my head right now. I hope that applies. Wow. Uh, yeah, I feel called out <laughs> in a lot of ways. Oh, wow. That is, that's a great nugget. Thank you for sharing that with us. And thank you so much for being here, taking time out of your busy mom life um, and just chatting with me um, and imparting so much wisdom to all of the listeners. So thank you so much. Thank you, Laura. This is so nice. I can't wait to catch up on your podcast too. I've got, if you're like me, I'm cluttered with a list of podcasts and books that I need to, to read and catch up on. So I appreciate you having me. I hope that um, the Holy Spirit, I know that he's you know guided our, our conversation. So I hope it touches at least one person. And thank you for doing what you're doing, especially for women all around. Of course. Thank you all the listeners. Um, until next time. Thanks for tuning into the Dear Beloved podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or many on social media and leave a rating and review. And don't forget to follow along at the Beloved Collective on Instagram and YouTube. 
That's beloved spelled B-L-V-E-D.